This edition of Farming the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farming the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. The passage of the Inflation Reduction Act could impact those in agriculture in many ways. Paul Niefer is our guest, and we discuss many facets of the recent legislation. Will the bill hold promise or pitfalls or both for farmers? It's our topic for this week's Farming the Countryside, brought to you by Pivot Bio. Where are prices headed? Can you maintain margins with the high volatility in grain and input markets? There's certainly plenty of uncertainty. But in these times, Pivot Bio Proven 40 is working to provide us with a certain source of nitrogen, up to the equivalent of 40 pounds of synthetic nitrogen. In fact, it stays put whether or not as Pivot Bio Proven molecules attach to the roots of the corn plant. In a time in which margins can be tight and more sustainable farming methods are more than just a buzzword, it's time to look at Pivot Bio. Our field demonstrations show an opportunity for a better ROI and a reduction of synthetic nitrogen. To learn more, just go to pivotbio.com. The big news in Congress recently has been the debate and passage of the Inflation Reduction Act. Of course, you'll find plenty of people who say this bill won't accomplish what its title indicates. We'll leave that portion of the debate up to you, and it may take a long time to see if that does or doesn't come true. However, we turn our focus on the specific provisions within that bill that may have a profound impact on the ag industry, farmers, and their families. Paul Neifer is always a great guest, and with his extensive knowledge of farming and accounting, he provides his overview of what we can expect. Paul Niefer is my guest. Paul has been a guest on this show many times, and we certainly have a topic that's very timely this time, which is the Inflation Reduction Act. Paul, good to have you back here. And, you know, why don't I just start out very broad and just give me the, the quick 30-second overview of the, this act and anything that jumps out to you, and then we're going to dive into some, into some specifics. Well, that's a challenge to do this all in 30 seconds, but I'll, I'll give it a try Key thing for farmers, really no tax increase for the farmers. There's actually some benefits that will come through for farmers. There is one quirky thing that could increase the taxes for some farmers, uh, but there's lots of credits out there that the farmers are probably going to be able to take advantage of either directly or indirectly. Uh, so I think all in all, what I've seen so far for ag is actually beneficial, not, not the, not the reverse. Well, certainly there's plenty of things that we can dive into underneath this heading. Let's go to those tax credits, first of all, and I know that there are going to be many. Perhaps let's start kind of on that conservation and renewable energy side of things, because I know that there are several things under that heading that could certainly apply to a lot of our listeners. Yeah, so, you know, they've extended uh, sort of the biodiesel and the alternative fuels credit. They've extended that through the end of 2024. And then also on the sustainable aviation fuel, the SAF, which has primarily been uh, soybeans, uh, that's a new credit. It's about a dollar. I think it's roughly a dollar per gallon uh, that is really going to take off, I think, for those soybean producers out there. What I've heard, potentially, we're going to have to find another 30 million acres of soybeans. I'm not sure where that's coming from, but we're going to need to find that. And then uh, certainly... 
over on the other side isn't directly related to the fuels, but you have these EV credits or clean vehicles. They're not calling them electric vehicles anymore. They're calling them clean vehicles, primarily electric, but it could be hydrogen and so on. And and those credits are higher. They apply to more types of vehicles. Now, there's also this mandate that it has to use uh, minerals and components, batteries and, and minerals that are sourced either in the U.S. or where we have a free trade agreement with. So it's excluding anything coming from China, which right now is about 80 percent of those vehicles. So that's going to take time to work through the system. Let's talk about some of those biodiesel type of credits. You know, Kelly Garrett was a guest on this program just a couple of weeks ago, and he said he was experimenting with growing more soybeans after soybeans because he thought that this would be important, that they were going to need more beans. It sounds like from what you're saying that you think the credits could influence us to begin doing that. Is that right? I I think it's all going to come down to, um, you know, it's going to come down to economics. You know, if soybeans ends up being, you know, on par with corn as far as net return because of the, the demand and pushing up the price, then, yes, farmers will go that way. Also, we got to realize that soybeans are cheaper to, to put into the ground and cash flow wise, farmers may sort of go that direction of, hey, if I can get the same return and it costs me less to get it into the ground, you know, they might they might go that direction. But I, I think, you know, it, it's to be determined because I've also have talked to people that are in the industry that know what they're talking about, probably more than I do about, you know, about these, uh, uh, you know, situations. And they're indicating that a lot of the, what currently is corn being used for ethanol, corn could also also go into maybe the same type uh, of, of, of products. So I, I think we're early in this situation, but I think that's a trend that we're probably going to see. Those credits that you're speaking about, would those credits go then to the actual uh, biodiesel plant or refiner as opposed to the farmer, but indirectly it helps the farmer because it drives up demand? Is that how you see it? Yeah, correct. I mean, if 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 the uh, you know if the refinery is getting a dollar per gallon now, how many bushels? I don't know how many bushels that is, but a dollar per gallon, and actually it's higher than that. Potentially, actually it's a dollar twenty-five. Excuse me, it's dollar twenty-five, and then they have this index, so it could even be higher than that. Uh, you know, likely that's going to get pushed back. Not all of it, but a lot of it's going to get pushed back to the to the grower. Any other things with the renewable fuels types of, of credits? And if not, talk about just other conservation type of credits, because I, I know that that's a big part of this bill. Yeah. So, you know, over on the conservation side, we have, uh, you know, they've been enhancing the carbon uh, capture credit. Uh, you know, certainly we know that farmers out there are looking at, you know, signing up for these programs where, you know, they'll provide carbon capture. Um, now, here's the I guess one thing I do want to bring up, if if the facility that's doing these carbon capture and a lot of these other items, if they use if they pay prevailing wages for the area and enter into these qualified apprenticeship programs, which means union, it's union jobs, prevailing wage, then the credit's five times higher than the regular credit. So I'm not sure how valuable these credits are going to be to a farmer out in an area where if you start paying prevailing wage, the credit that you get from Uncle Sam is actually barely going to offset the amount of extra wages you have to pay, plus the hassle of dealing with prevailing wages in these apprenticeship programs. So 
that that's one thing that I'm really worried about is, you know, how onerous is getting these larger credits going to be for whether it's a farmer or a facility that's working with the farmer. Uh, that's certainly one thing I am worried about. Other things under the conservation heading that you're seeing in the in the bill that will impact farmers? Well, we know that there's almost I think it's almost 19 billion that's been set aside for USDA to do for conservation. You got your equip program. There's about, I think, six, six billion for equip. There's the REPP, I think it is, CSP, and then the conservation one. So all that, all of those four particular programs have at least another billion for each of them. And like I say, I think Equip's got about six billion. Now we don't know, you know, what it's going to be for, but you know, 20 billion over the next, you know, four or five years is a pretty good size allotment for conservation. Now most of this won't go into the budget base for the upcoming farm bill, but it certainly is going to be welcome for the farmers. Right. So in other words, the money's been allocated, but we don't know exactly how it's going to feed out into the programs. Uh, so we know exactly how farmers can benefit at this point. Is that right? Yeah. Hey, this bill just got signed, I think, on Saturday by President Biden. Uh, some of this stuff. Now, I know there is one proposal, one of the credits. Uh, Congress told the IRS to get regulations out. I think it was the IRS to get regulations out by the end of the year. That's fairly quick. You know, we only got four and a half months to go. That's really quick. So hopefully, you know, and again, we had the emergency relief program that you, uh, FSA announced or USDA announced a couple months ago. Well, that took them like nine months to come up with that program. So hopefully they're not going to take, uh, you know, that amount of time to come up with some of these uh, details on the program. I know one provision or some of the provisions in the bill, and it may not affect everyone, but certainly there's some things about disadvantaged farmers, those who have been discriminated against within USDA and so forth. Talk about some of those things in the bill. Yeah, so there's about $6 billion, which actually was sort of put into the American Rescue Plan back in March of 2021, and that got hung up in the courts, you know, dealing with uh, discrimination. So they've eliminated that provision completely. That's in the bill. And they've replaced it with what I call two programs. There's about 3.1 billion that's set aside for what they call at-risk farmers. So if the farmer, if they judge, and we, we don't know the details, but if they judge the farmers that got economic difficulties, there's 3.1 billion set aside to pay off the loan. Now it has to be a loan either directly with FSA or USDA or it's guaranteed by USDA, which, you know, there's quite a bit of loans like that. Uh, that's one program. And then there's about $2.9 billion that's set aside for what they call socially disadvantaged farmers, which could be veterans, it could be first-time farmers, uh, et cetera. Plus of that, there's about, I think about, of that 2.9, there's about 2.1 billion that's sort of allocated for potential discrimination, which sort of reverts back to that American Rescue Plan. Now, on this discrimination, the maximum you can get is 500,000. So under the old rules, it was unlimited, but under this new rule, the maximum is 500,000. And actually, it sounds like USDA is not even going to set up the rules on who is a been um, you know discriminated against. It's got to be an independent. I don't know if it's within the government or some type of independent decision as to who's been discriminated. Now, the benefit for the farmer that might be able to participate in these plans 
is that loan forgiveness is just like PPP loan forgiveness, 100% tax-free, and then all the expenses that were used to buy, you know, that was used to pay the expenses from the original loan, those are still allowed as the deduction. So that's a pretty good deal for these farmers out there. Talk about the health provisions within this, because with ACA, that affects a lot of farmers. There's provisions in the bill with credits there, correct? Yeah, so actually there's sort of two areas that healthcare provisions in the bill. The first is a lot of farmers do participate in the ACA marketplace. And last year they sort of made this a more favorable marketplace where you don't have the 400% cliff where once you go over 400% of the federal poverty level, you get no credit. So they've actually eliminated that. They've said that the maximum amount that you would use for health insurance is eight and a half percent of your adjusted gross income. So for a lot of farmers, their adjusted gross income can be a fairly small number. So that net net health insurance cost, instead of being twenty thousand dollars, might be four or five thousand dollars under the the current nicer ACA. Well, that was going to expire at the end of this year. What they've done is they've extended that for another three years. So that's that's a good deal. And then there's quite a few farmers out there. We know the average age of farmers is is late 50s, and quite a few of them are on Social Security or Medicare. You know, at age 65, you go on to Medicare, and they made some provisions there. What they've done is the maximum out-of-pocket cost for a farmer and, and their spouse is going to be $2,000 each. If they're on insulin for diabetes, the maximum copay that they're going to have to pay each month is $35 versus might be $500 now or whatever it might be. And then also Medicare is going to be able starting, you know, in a couple of years, they're going to be able to negotiate drug pricing. Uh, I think it's 10 drugs starting in, I think, 2025 and then 15 drugs in 2026 and 27 and then 20 drugs in 2028 and thereafter. So supposedly, you know, that's going to help drive down the cost of some of those drugs that farmers who are on Medicare are maybe out of pocket, you know, maybe potentially five or 10 or $20,000 a year. That's going to be quite a bit less. Let's talk about another thing that's been brought up a lot in this bill, and that is adding on more IRS agents, which I think that always, uh, I guess, concerns us. Uh, you, you know, you have people looking over your shoulder and hopefully all of us are doing things right, but still it gets concerning. So tell me your take on this, because what will that do adding this many agents and will that truly ramp up how many audits we're doing or how do you see this playing out? Well, you know, Secretary, uh, Treasury Secretary Yellen came out and said that the percentage of audits for people under 400,000, which is the majority of the farmers, most of them do not have adjusted gross income over 400,000. She came out and said that the share of those audits are not going to change. That doesn't mean there's not going to be more audits. There's definitely going to be more audits, but the share is going to be roughly the same, which is probably half a percent. Now, over on the farm side, you know, I have not had many audits of farmers in the last five, 10 years at all. I think that's nationwide is that there's not a lot of audits of farmers, and, and that's driven by two or three things. One, the IRS auditors that really understood farming, they've all retired. I shouldn't say they haven't all retired, but most of them retired, and they haven't really been replaced. Plus, in the database that IRS has, the Schedule F farmers, if you look at them in total, every single year going back 30 years, have never shown a profit. 
you know, even in the 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 really good years of 2012, 2013, I, I think cumulative net farm income for Schedule F farmers was a negative 500 million. Uh, typically, it's in the uh, negative two to two to ten billion dollars. Now we know there's other farmers now filing Schedule F, or means of filing LLC tax returns and S corps and C corps and so on. But in the IRS database, why do why would they want to go after farmers when we know, hey, it's going to be a lot of work to not get much money? Because remember, farmers have all these all these legal methods of reducing income. They're on the cash method accounting. They got 100 percent bonus. If the IRS goes in and audits those type of farmers, they're not going to make anything. Yeah, maybe they can find some expenses that the farmer doesn't have receipts for, but uh, believe me, the IRS is going to be much more inclined to go after a wealthy taxpayer or a corporation like Google or Microsoft, or one of those guys where they can win a 500 million or a billion or a two billion dollar decision versus going after a farmer where they might get two or two to five thousand dollars. I'd be interested in your opinion as an accountant. Uh, certainly. There used to be more audits 20 and 30 years ago, and it dropped to the point where it was very rare that I heard of farmers being audited. And do you think that adding these agents, does that help with the speed of communication at all of the IRS? Because I'm sure you're probably frustrated at times when you need answers, the the correspondence rate and, and put on COVID on top of it. That certainly slowed it down to the point that it seemed like some things really began to drag. Was that your experience? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if if, if you want to communicate with the IRS right now, good luck. I mean, if, if we have a special hotline that we can call. Now, I did luck out once last year or maybe earlier this year where I actually got through, but Typically, you call the hotline after 45 minutes, they automatically hang up onto you. And then you call again, they, they automatically hang up. I mean, it can take you a week or two weeks or three weeks calling every single day to try to get through. So uh, they maybe have gotten a little bit better. But I, I think what I've heard of this 80 billion, not all of it's going for IRS audit, auditors. A lot of it, I think, is going to go to clean up their systems, get them up to the 21st century get this backlog, you know, there's still 15 or 20 million pieces of uh, of tax returns and other data out there that has not been processed by the IRS. So they need to take about 10 or 20 billion of that and just spend it on that. So I, I, I think it's going to be more audits, but on the farmer side, you know, the percentage isn't going to change much. I'm interested in your opinion, then, as you look at this bill, as far as how much money is going to be coming in to try to offset the spending where is that money coming from? And do you think uh, they're going to be able to accomplish a lot of that? Because I think people always look at that a bit uh, dubious when it says uh, Inflation Reduction Act. Well, is it really just going to increase the amount we're spending and we don't have enough coming in? Are they going to be able to collect enough tax revenue to offset a lot of this? I, I think so. But again, what they're going to collect really isn't going to affect farmers too much. There is one provision, and that's the excess business loss rules where a farmer, let's say they have a large loss and they want to carry it back two years to get an uh, offsetting refund. Uh, the maximum they can carry back if they're single is about 270000 If they're married, it's 540000 Otherwise, it gets carried forward. That's going to raise for farmers, probably not a big deal, but that still raises, I think, $80 billion over over 10 years. But the big money raisers are a, there's a this new minimum tax on corporations, but that only applies if you have net income of a billion, not a million, but a billion. 
I'm not aware of any farmers out there that have net income of a billion. Now, if they're associated with other companies, yeah, maybe that might be there, but that's going to be very few. And then publicly traded companies such as an Apple, Microsoft, when they buy back their stock, there's now a new 1% excise tax. Uh, so if Microsoft buys back a billion dollars of their stock during the year, net, net, then they're going to have to pay $10 million, if my math's right, I think it is $10 million uh, to the Treasury. And that raises, I think, about $100, $150 billion over 10 years. The minimum tax raises about $350 billion. Uh, so if you add those up, it's about four to five hundred billion. And then I think there's another couple hundred billion uh, between negotiated uh, drug pricing. You know, that's supposed to raise, I think, a couple hundred billion. So it starts adding up a little bit to, to help offset this. Now, we know their numbers, uh, you know, they can come up with any numbers, but the reality is they're never exactly what they project to be. Sure, sure. It sounds like from what you've told me, though, you feel pretty positive about the impact of the the bill on agriculture and farmers. Then. I, I am pretty positive what could have happened could have been a whole lot worse. Uh, remember, this is just an extension of the Build Back Better Act uh, that President Biden and, and the Democrats were pushing. There was lots of provisions in there that are going to be detrimental to ag, you know, such as uh, not eliminating the step up in bases, but having to pay a tax on your step up in bases, uh, applying the 3.8% net investment income tax to all farm income. That was in the bill until like a month ago. And then Senator Manchin said, no, we don't need that. Uh, so as far as the final, final bill, I'm pretty positive. Plus, you know, the new credit for SAF and and some of these other credits, uh, like a farmer that wants to go out and buy a, an electric vehicle. I'm not talking the car or the pickup or the SUV because that's still going to be a ways down the road because of of these other rules on minerals and and batteries. But if if you know, let's say they want to buy a semi truck that's electric or or hydrogen or whatever it might be. Uh, you know, that credit's potentially $40,000. So, um, you know, that could be, that could help, uh, help the farmer make that decision if, if it makes sense. And again, all this stuff is going to have to make economic sense before the farmer's going to pull the trigger on it. Well, you mentioned some of those potential worrisome pieces of the old bill or some of the original legislation from a year or so ago. Because we passed this, do you think then perhaps we've you know, eliminated some of those ideas that farmers can always be worried about those things, but perhaps those are behind us. Is that right? I, I think so. The only caution I would give for farmers, remember after the election, and, you know, we think we're pretty positive that the House is going to go Republican, not sure on the Senate. I think that's getting less and less likely just because some of the candidates out there on the Republican side. But uh, but we know the House is going to go. We think the House is going to go Republican. But we always have an extender bill or there's a bunch of bills that get passed at year end. And, and that'll still be based on President Biden and the Democrats who can control both houses. Um, so potentially. Maybe we might see something happen in December, but I highly doubt it because, again, that type of a bill, I think, really has to be bipartisan. You know, both the Republicans and the Democrats have to get along. And in the Senate, uh, that means that they would need at least 60 votes. So I think it's going to be pretty straightforward what might get done in, in December. 
Paul, before we run out of time, we've focused, of course, totally on this bill. But are there other things that you think farmers should be aware of as we head into this back half of the year, just thinking about regular tax season and winding up the year? Any things that should be on our mind that maybe we haven't had on our mind in previous years? No, I, I think it, it's pretty much the, the same stuff that you need to worry about. Uh, certainly, this is right before harvest is actually not a bad time to be meeting with your tax advisor. Uh, you know, a lot of them right want to meet after harvest, but I, I typically like to meet before harvest and then follow up after harvest because then you can sort of bracket in and get a better idea where you're at uh, tax wise. But uh, I, I think in my opinion, a little bit of a sigh of relief that this bill is not that bad for farmers, and uh, I think we need to take advantage of it. Paul, I always appreciate the time. No problem. I appreciate it, too. Paul is always a great interview. And remember, Paul has his own podcast, The Farm CPA, that you can check out as well. I appreciate you listening. Remember, you can hear all of our shows at farmingthecountryside.com, on many local radio stations, or your favorite podcast platform. And you can follow Farming the Countryside on Facebook. And now you can follow Farming the Countryside on Instagram as well, where I'm posting photos and videos of what we are doing on our own farm. I'm Andrew McCray. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. This edition of Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot Bio Proven. Turn to a better nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com dot com.